My navel is not the center of the universe. Welcome to the Inspiro podcast, the podcast exploring personal growth, leadership, strategy, communication, and fulfillment. We are your hosts, Jason Luchtefeld and Bill Woodburn. I'm here as a dentist transitioning into a career to help facilitate individuals and their organizations towards a more fulfilling future. Hi there, I'm Bill Woodburn, and I'm a licensed professional counselor and licensed marriage and family therapist in Austin, Texas. I'm fascinated by the way people come together to solve problems, whether that's couples or families, dental practices or organizations. We're going to be exploring a lot of topics, and for us to be able to be free to do that, I have to let you know that this is not intended to be dental advice or counseling advice. Last night, it was a bunch of big discussions with my wife about how far do we go? How much do we spend? How, you know, it's obvious he's in pain. So how do we get him out of pain? And is it is there only one option? And she's a bit more of like, it's been a long life. Let's call it now before it's more suffering. And I'm kind of like, well, you know, if he can be happy, maybe. That was an interesting discussion. Ultimately, it's influenced by what the vet says, what we think, what we say, and how he acts. So then this morning... And I'll add an extra piece. Okay. At this moment in your life, your ability to tolerate the emotional impact of putting your dog down. Yeah. Yeah. And there are there are times we can we can do that with with courage and grace and there are times we we just don't have it in us that day and yeah. You know, no no harm no foul, it's just we work inside this performance envelope of emotions. Yeah. Well, that takes me to this morning when I'm getting ready to go to the vet. And I think I'm I feel like I'm about to go on stage. Just that there are emotions there. There is a different physical sensation. And I, I say that it's like a stress response. It's it's a little anxiety. It's, uh, it's the unknown. It's knowing I'm going to have to possibly confront this, you know, hold the dog while it's dying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's all those things. But... I really tried to think about what is the the emotion I'm experiencing mm-hmm. because it feels physically, it feels the same as getting that excitement, but nervousness before going on stage. And so, but it's a very different thing <laughs> that's happening. So I thought it was just, it was a good time to really just try to sit and think about that. Think about, what emotion is it that is the same overlapping? What's different, but is the same physically? And that's it's hard for me to uh, um, dissect that out mm-hmm. beyond like, oh, I feel a little anxious. I feel a little stressed. I feel hot, sweaty, uh, those things. Yeah. The, I want to highlight that you're doing exactly what human beings need to do which is the first thing is we have to label the emotions and the more nuanced we can label it, the more options we get. In other words, 
if I said that I am angry, okay, there, there are a couple of different options there, or sad, a couple of different options. But if I said I was frustrated, uh, or if I said I was grieving, or if I said that I am frightened of a loss, okay, now all of a sudden there are all these options about what to do. So a whole bunch of times people say, come in and say, you know, I have this feeling, but I don't know what to do. And it's like, well, first we have to figure out what the feeling is. And then we have to figure it out on a level that is nuanced enough to give us some options. The other thing that you were doing, which is, again, this perfectly natural, really healthy response, is trying to resolve the feelings, put them in some sort of context, because there are there are sensations like, okay, my body is feeling this and this and this, and we have to be present for that. If we miss that, we, we just don't have any data and we wander around like idiots. But if, if okay, so I'm feeling my sensations are this. Uh, can label, it sounds like, based on my history and what, you know, context, could be this or this or this. But then there's that sort of larger context where we resolve the feeling into, oh, this is what is going on with me. This is this is the the sort of river I've stepped into. It's bigger than me, and I'm 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 flowing down here. This is oh yes, this is about my dog, and this is about you know my feelings, and you know as opposed to yeah, I have these sensations, and yes, I'm I feel like I'm excited and going to be going on on stage. Well, clearly you're not going on stage. So some resolution is necessary. Again, figure out what river you just stepped in. Mm -hmm. There's something going on in your life, in the world, in, in whatever that you're, 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 you're going downstream of this one, not a different one. And again, those are, those are skills, and you can learn those skills. Uh, occasionally, we see kids, particularly they get in like 12, 13, 14, and they get so, and they're so bad at it. And then I've, I've seen them in my office. And the thing that comes with that is they come in and say, nobody likes me. I don't have any friends. Well, yeah, because we're to be friends, to be close to someone, to rely on someone, to join with someone. They have to be good enough at uh, picking up, identifying and resolving feelings so we can relate to them. Mm -hmm. and, and if this is a kid who really can't do that then nobody's being mean to him necessarily. They just can't find a handle on this guy. Hmm. Well, that leads us right into a question that I, in looking some stuff up about our topic for today, <laughs> I thought it would be good to talk about mood and affect. And I realized that I understood those incorrectly. according to the definitions that are out there. So I'd like to state the definition. And then if you could give your kind of professional side of what those things mean and how we can analyze, reflect the self-care side of it. How, how do we take care of ourselves related to those two items? So what I found was mood is your emotional state. Affect is the expression of that emotional state. 
I had those reversed. I thought affect was the underlying tone that you had and the mood is how you would express it. So that that's new to me. That's going to be a hard thing for me to now fix because it's been wrong for so long. Uh, and I think that's an interesting and really important topic because it it's involved in communication that we have every day. Just like when we started this call, how are you? I'm asking you what your mood and affect are, or yes. I'm I'm listening for your mood. I'm looking for your affect, and you're checking my mood so you can predict my affect better. Not, yeah, not perfectly, but but you kind of want to know, yeah. you know, where are we headed with this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what comes to mind immediately is um, if you've ever seen a funeral in Japan where people dress in white, and if you go up to talk to the family, they will smile and even I won't say laugh, but it's kind of this little giggle sort of thing. And you're thinking, what's going on? Are they? They don't, they're not sad. No, they're sad. Their mood is sad, but affect is also culturally determined. And they are they are doing sad the way traditional Japanese folks do sad mm. at a funeral, at a at a formal memorial of sadness. So you know, this idea of affect, part of the reason we separate it from mood is because it's so variable uh, across cultures, uh, but Men do different than women. Children do it different than adults. And you can't just say, oh, I see that. That's got to mean that mood. Well, no. You've got to take a lot more of the context in it. The other is when we express it. Context really matters. Many years ago, I was backstage getting ready to present with a colleague of mine. And she was saying, oh, I'm so nervous. I'm so scared. You know, that my, my, my palms are sweaty and my breath's short. And, you know, I'm a little, little, little nervous. And my muscles are twitching. And she's describing this. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. My, my breath is short and my palms are sweaty and my muscles are a little twitchy. I thought I was excited. Mm -hmm. We're actually having the same sensations but we're interpreting them differently partly because I walked in there with a mood of expectation and excitement. She walked in there with a mood of dread. And now we are taking what we find around us and we're writing it into that narrative. And the affect is coming out as pretty much narrative dependent. She thinks this could be really bad. There are <laughs> 500 people out there. I'm going to, this is going to be a bad experience. Bill being Bill is thinking 500 people came to listen to me. Cool. So, you know, that's, that's why affects a little, you know, it, it requires a lot, a lot wider net to catch. Mm -hmm. It's also difficult right now to express to verbally state a mood and affect that is not positive. Mm -hmm. Pe yeah. People ask, how are you? Because they want to hear good. 
<laughs> they don't yes. want to hear I'm yes. miserable and lost my job and I can't afford my rent. And they, even though it, if it's a real, you know, friend or a family, they probably do want to hear those things. It's just, that's these niceties that we have when we start conversations have turned into almost meaningless social uh, starting points mm-hmm. that that now I, I've encouraged people and I've been teaching lately, I've been encouraging people to try to be more honest about the assessment of themselves and see how it lands in those conversations. Yeah, let's start with a rule of thumb here that you maybe shouldn't ask questions that you're not prepared to hear the answer to. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's also a good leadership thing. Is like, how are you today? Well, wait a minute. You better have a couple of minutes in case this goes bad. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you don't want to do this, and you only have five seconds, and you just want to nod or a thumbs up and go on to the next patient. It's like, uh, no, right? You could, you could be stuck there. So yeah. you might need to find another way to attach, another way to assess mood, so you can predict affect, rather than saying, "How are you doing today." Mm-hmm. I'm not against that, but you know you better be ready, and and you can you can you can do that another day another way. Mm-hmm. You know. uh, what do you think of when people get a label of being moody? Mo- um a couple of things. Mostly, how inconvenient their moods are is really what they're to the other people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is just this is a big inconvenience. Whatever you're feeling right now. Man, it's a big inconvenience. You're that means you're moody, you know, yeah, or flighty, or I mean, whatever. But it's 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 not about you. It's inconvenient for me. The other piece is um, moody. Often means I I can't get enough data that I can predict what you're gonna how you're gonna express your feelings, and so I'm nervous. Again, mm-hmm. I see that one in dental offices all the time which is I've kind of asked the patient the wrong question about their day or whatever. And I'm not getting back enough to know how they're going to respond when I say, by the way, you need $10,000 worth of dental work. I mean, I get that you need to know. I mean, it would be nice to predict something there, but, but yeah, if you, if you kind of are sloppy in the questions, if you're sloppy in your observations, then you're feeling this kind of dread and fear and and upset. And what that's about is you can't confidently predict what that other human is going to express next. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that I, I get it. I think a lot of times people, are, the dentists, are very worried about talking about money. One of the pieces here is I don't know how they're going to react. And on the on the feeling thing, their affect. I don't know where we're headed in that department. And because I'm very unskilled at asking the prep questions, that I can get a little hint of where they are today. Well, how are you today? Well, I'm fine. Well, I I don't know how they're going to respond. You know, that that's like okay. I get I have the routine question. They give me the routine answer. It's just like if. Uh, patient comes in and you know you say how is your dental health doing is anything bothering your mouth no i'm fine 
Yeah. That'll tell you what you're going to be doing next either. I think a bit of a tangent, but I think that we avoid the part of the conversations that we are think that we think we are going to be rejected in. Ooh, excellent. So I think that's, that's a big part of why we have ourselves as dentists, team members, we will, we will force somebody else to have the conversations that involve the most rejection because we don't want to be the ones rejected. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's curious how sometimes we feel as humans rejected if we say, how are you doing today? And the other person says, terrible. <laughs> right. Now, how do, but sometimes people do interpret that as some sort of weird rejection. I remember um, in one of the first trips we took to France, um, my lovely um, French wife um, explained to me that there's a difference in France and America. Uh, she says in America, um, when someone um, agrees with you, it means they like you. And if they disagree, it means they don't like you. She says, when you're hanging out with my family, they may disagree with you, but that has nothing to do with whether they like you or approve of you or not. Hmm. They may agree with you, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily getting along with you. And it's like, they're, they're detached. But around here, you know, I need someone to agree with me. So I feel uh, like I'm not rejected personally. Hmm. Wow. That's a tough way to go through life. Uh, you're just waiting for the next, you know, no from someone to feel really wretched. Yeah, that's that's a tough way to do it. Well, I think it's a big deal in dentistry because we're giving bad news, because people are not generally self-aware of what's going on in their mouths until it's mm -hmm. really bad mm -hmm. that we, we will be giving bad news to people on a regular basis. And yeah. that results in a lot of rejection, a lot sure. of disagreement, frustration. And I think that dental teams, medical teams, you, your field has to deal with a lot of that kind of emotion from people. And that becomes difficult. We've talked about that in the, in some one of our very early episodes about the, the difficulties of our professions in dealing with other humans and their uh, frustrations and communication. Well, now we're talking about emotions and mm -hmm. the emotions that come out in those patients that we have to now either negotiate our way through or work with them on or do something to facilitate that relationship in a way that is hopefully ultimately beneficial for both people. There's a curious thing that I've think I've been seeing, and I would love to, to hear from you, that the more skilled the dentist, the more they're committed to excellence, the more they have really gone fully into excellence in dentistry, often the, the more rejected they feel when a patient has trouble with what they're talking about, because it has become, they've become so wrapped up in in the performance of that procedure or technique or whatever that, that when the patient says, I, I don't want to do that. Can we do something, you know, like cheaper? 
it's 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 a lot more crushing than someone who you know they they could do this or that and and they're not really overly committed that's that's a big topic that it it's good though the answer short answer is yes the longer answer is the more we learn so we don't learn everything we need to know coming out of dental school you learn enough to do the basics you learn enough to not hurt people hopefully and you you're able to do the dentistry on a basic level but then you go and take some classes you learn more procedures you learn more higher quality procedures uh laboratory skills and as you do that your your diagnostic skills start to go up so now that person that came in that had a couple cavities but also really worn teeth and fractured teeth they go from needing a couple bit fillings to needing a full mouth rehab once you've had the training to see it and you know you can perform it so now the the level of rejection has gone from the person doesn't just want the two fillings filled they don't want their whole mouth fixed and that can be um, a bigger rejection of our knowledge of what we can offer of what we want for them of our own commitment to going into the training i know yeah. i've done training programs that, that were extended over two years mm-hmm. you know so so I mean, i'm i'm committed to this you know money time whatever and then have someone say no no, no i don't want to do that it's like my com- it, it flies in the face of my commitment mm-hmm. so all of a sudden i'm on a different track than my client or you are with your patient because you've committed to something mm-hmm. fully emotionally committed not just intellectually emotionally committed and they're and they're just not on board and yeah. they're not committed to it and that does feel kind of like a rejection yeah it's well it i think ultimately it is a rejection yes it's just true. it's just whether or not we take it personally and that's where the biggest challenge lies is not taking the rejection as a personal thing, understanding that we need to better meet the patient where they're at mm-hmm. versus expect them to be where we're at day one. Yes. Yes. The other thing is trying to tie this into our emotional self care. If you're on a dental team, you're a dentist, you're on a dental team, and you are feeling the effects of that constant rejection, and you are emotionally spent. Self-care. My my first one is to delegate. Having a team that you can trust to delegate to when you are feeling that overwhelm. And that's kind of self-preservation in some ways. It's not necessarily dealing with the emotion yourself yet, but I think it's a initially a place where there's comfort in knowing you have a team that can step up and support you when and if you need it. Absolutely. And there's it requires, though, a special leadership skill. Which it is? Required to be able to assess the emotional reserves of your team. 
because oh. what happens is it gets delegated to often the person on the team who's most anxious or frantic or most most worried about the rejection, not the person that has a few emotional reserves that day. Hmm. Somebody will raise their hand. Oh, I'll 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 talk to him, Doc. I'll I can and and you. But you're looking at them, they're they're already frazzled because they're worried about losing this patient or being rejected. It's like that's not the person. You look around the room and there's somebody who's calmer about this whole thing. It's like, no, no, why don't you go? Miss Calm here, go talk to the patient. Mm -hmm. You seem to have more emotional reserves at this moment. Because otherwise, what we do is we start overloading certain members of the team with emotions. I mean, there's the dental work, there's the physical work, there's the intellect. Well, there's also the emotional work in a dental office. And I've seen several dental offices burning out people one after the other because they were always chosen to handle the emotional part of of dentistry rather than being spread, you know, more evenly or at least based on people's emotional reserves and skill, emotional skill. Mm. My first thought on how to do that. So obviously there's partly getting to know your team. And so being able to recognize that in them. The other, I think I use this off and on, (laughs) probably not nearly enough, but it's that using the morning huddle (laughs) to allow time for everybody on the team to kind of verbalize, where are they today? And I really like uh, red light, yellow light, green light. Green light, you're you feel great. You can handle whatever's thrown at you today. Yellow light is you're okay, but you're maybe on the edge. And red light means I'm here, but don't mess with me. That's so much better than how are you today, mm. which is so so formal. You're just going to get the, the the meaningless response. See, that's a better idea because you're likely to get a more accurate response. Or um, what are you bringing in with you today? Or how you know how are things going for you today? It, there's there are better ways that you in a huddle that you could more quickly and more efficiently. Sound. I I like the the other thing that I would do if I had someone who had a you know more like a yellow. I would also just briefly say something like, "Well, what things do you hope don't come up today for you?" Mm. Mm-hmm. Man, I don't want to see an angry patient today. I've just you know my mother-in-law's in town. I've about had it. You know whatever. Like, great. Okay. Because it may not be across the board. It may be, I just don't want this experience. Well, a good team could route around that experience. So that person doesn't have to have that experience today, but they may be capable of all sorts of other emotional experiences. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, a scared patient. Oh, she, that might be great with scared patients. I'm not worried about scared patient. I'm worried about an angry patient. So I'll be happy to step up. for the, So, oh, okay. So it's a little more nuanced. It's like, yeah, what do you what are you hoping you don't run into? What would be hard mm-hmm. to run into today? What do you think about we've talked about that in like a dental office setting? That could be the same for a medical office. Sure. What about a family? <laughs> the thing about a family, which by the way also works in a dental office, but I'll talk about family, uh, is that different people take on roles of doing certain emotional jobs in the family. Now, by the way, a role. Okay, let's back up for a second. We all have expectations of other people. And if they're strangers or if they're a patient that we see once every few months, well, that's that's a looser role. I mean, they're in the patient role and, you know, we're in the doctor role. And But if it's someone that you eat dinner with every night, 
that you live with, if it's your kids, your spouse, whatever, those expectations begin to coalesce around sort of a group of expectations that we have of that person. And then we call that a role. This is this is a whole constellation of expectations I have of someone in this role. Now, some of them are culturally set. Like we have mom role, dad role, teenager role, youngest kid in the family role. Okay. They're, they're all different roles that already come with a little bit of like, okay, culture expects moms to do this and dads to do this. But then in each family, there are also other roles that can be much more individualized. The truth teller, you know, mm. the 14 year old that always says, uh, you know, mom getting, getting along. Okay. Today. You just, I mean, dinner really sucked tonight. Make you do a double take. <laughs> you know, it's like, oops, you know, but they're going to, they're just going to say it or the, uh, the, the mediator in the family, which if there's any disagreement, we'll just absorb the disagreement energy and try to calm everybody down and then try to lead them. I mean, uh, the, some become great therapists at, at 11 years old, um, being able to get mom and dad to get along. So there are these other roles that can, that can crop up. And often, to bring it back, I'll get questions like, but why do people stay in the truth-telling role or the or the scapegoat role where you get you you absorb the blame for anything that's going on in the family? Why would anyone stay in that role? Um, and I think Jay Haley, a famous, very seminal uh, family therapist in America, said once said, you know, better to be a black sheep than to be no sheep at all. Mm. You said it earlier. We don't want to be rejected. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're in a family and you have a certain role, meaning certain expectations that they're expecting you to to not do that, you could feel rejected. You could be rejected. So you're probably just going to do it. Again, same thing with the dental team. Certain roles. I'm the one who does this. Mm -hmm. Why would you keep hanging on to a destructive one? Uh, better, better to be a black sheep than to be no sheep at all. I think that works as a good start to the emotional self-care information. A lot of that was kind of introductory background info about emotions, roles, things like that. And next episode, we will get into some tools for engaging with your own self-awareness and emotional self-care. So please join us next week. Mm -hmm.